Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. What's up, Christ Walk? How is everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. Glad that you're here this morning. If you got your Bible or you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. In case you're unaware, the Bible's divided up into these two large sections. You've got the Old Testament at the front of the Bible, and then that second large chunk of Scripture we call the New Testament. And at the beginning of the New Testament, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we refer to those books as the Gospels. The reason we call them the Gospels is because gospel means good news, and those books are good news because they tell the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to be taking a look at something that Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 14, and we'll land there just in just a minute. But before we do, I, I got to know, does anybody remember the, the children's game? I guess it's kind of classified as a board game, but it's really not a board game. But anybody remember Hungry Hungry Hippos? Yes. Anyone? In case you're unaware of Hungry Hungry Hippos, just imagine like a big bowl and if, if you're looking at the rim of that bowl as a clock face, um, then imagine a, a different colored plastic hippopotamus attached at three, six, nine, and 12. And in place of that hippopotamus's tail is a, a big plastic lever that when you press down on said lever, it causes the hippo's mouth to open up wide. And so you press it and the mouth opens, you press it, the mouth opens. And kind of the idea of the game is that you get together with three of your friends and you each pick one of the, one of the hippos and then someone drops a big handful of marbles down into the bottom of the bowl and then it is game on. And you are hitting that lever on the hippo's tail as fast as you possibly can to get it to try to gobble up all all of the marbles in the bottom of the bowl. And then once the marbles are all gone, you count out and whoever was able to gobble up the most marbles with their hippo is declared the winner. And, and I think that a lot of us, a lot of people today, we take the same approach to the way that we live our lives and the way that we handle our finances as we do to when we play the game Hungry Hungry Hippos. And the, the truth of the matter is, is that by our very nature, we are consumers. But it's this kind of mentality that's, that's gone unaddressed for so long that it, it's caused us to begin to succumb to the cultural and the societal pressures of focusing on our amassing of wealth and possessions. In fact, if you don't believe me, just turn on the television and, and, and watch your favorite TV show. And even like for one that's like 30 minutes, I guarantee that you won't go through one commercial break without seeing like the newest car or the newest gadget or gizmo, the newest thing that you absolutely cannot live without in your life. And all of those commercials will be followed up with an ad for the newest credit card that you can use to buy all of those things with, Right? And somewhere along the way from six years old playing hungry, hungry hippos with our friends to adulthood, we've began to buy into the lie that excess equals success. Excess equals success. 
And so much so that, that we've bought into that lie so deeply and so strongly that, that many of us will go to any length possible, any measure necessary to be sure that we have more, that we have better than the person that is sitting next to us. Let me, let me see if I can help to kind of paint a picture with, uh, of, the, of the problem that we're dealing with. According to an article from CNBC, the average American, this is an individual, singular, the average American has $38,000 worth of debt, not including their mortgage. So that means if you're married, on average, you and your spouse together would have approximately $80,000 worth of debt, not including your house payment. 25% of all debt in America is credit card debt. In fact, the, the average American carries over $6,500 of credit card debt. And nearly one third of all of that credit card debt in America comes from discretionary spending. That means that we're using credit cards to buy things that we don't actually have to have in order to survive. Americans spend on average nearly $500 per month on non-essentials like eating out, entertainment, luxury items, and vacations on their credit card. And the irony is not lost on me that there is a very popular credit card out there called the Chase Freedom Card. <laughs> you know, in that one commercial, I'd always ask like, what's in your wallet? Let me tell you, it's slavery and bondage. That's what's in your wallet. Okay, I'll just let you in on that right up front. Two out of every 10 Americans, listen to this, 20%, two out of every 10 Americans spend between 50 to 100% of their monthly income on debt repayment. And I couldn't believe this last one. According to an article in The Simple Dollar, the average American household spends more than $8,000 each year on interest alone. That means that we are paying money simply for the privilege of using someone else's money to buy things. I think financial guru Dave Ramsey summed it up best, the problem, the issues that we're facing when he said, we're, we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. And that's the problem that we're facing in America today, in the church today. But what if there was a way that we could change all of that? The good news is, is that I, I believe that there is. And if you and I will just make some very small shifts in both the way that we think about and the way that we handle our money, I believe that that will make all the difference. They're just very, very subtle. Today, we're in part two of a series that we're calling First Fruits, where we're taking a look at the what, the how, and the why of a lifestyle of generosity, particularly when it comes to the realm of our finances. And the Bible is very clear that this kind of lifestyle of generosity is one in which the Lord most richly blesses. So cultivating that kind of lifestyle is what this series is all about. Last week, we took a look at what the Bible says in regard to tithing or returning the first 10% of all of our income back to God. And we learned from the scriptures that God is a God of order. 
And that if we'll get our lives in order when it comes to the way we think about and handle our finances, then we will position ourselves to be able to receive the fullness of God's blessings that he is wanting to pour out in our lives. And according to Malachi 3, that it's so much, we won't be able to contain it all. And before we move any further in our series today, I, I wanna remind you of some things that I said last week. And, and if you weren't here last week or you, you missed the message somehow or whatever, I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and check out our YouTube channel or go to our podcast and watch or listen because last week is the stepping stone to this week and we'll build off last week and the next week we'll build off of the previous two weeks. And so it'll help you to connect the dots between all of these things and some of the things that I'm going to say today. But let me remind you that I'm not asking anybody for money. We're not preaching this series because we're asking you to give anything. And, and in fact, as long as I'm the pastor here, it, it is my very best intention that we will never ask anyone to give anything. But with that said, we will provide you with regular and consistent opportunities to be faithfully obedient with the resources that God has blessed you with and give you opportunities to give those things as the Lord leads. And I'm also not preaching this series because the church is in some kind of financial trouble and we need your help to bail us out. It's, it's not that at all whatsoever. In short, the reason we're preaching this series is not because we want something from you, but it's because I want something for you. As your pastor, I want so desperately for you to experience the fullness of God's blessings in your life. And I believe that in accordance with God's word and the principles that we find there, what, what the Bible communicates is that we need to become people of generosity and live out the principles that we've been talking about and are going to talk about through the course of this series. And that if we do that, that will put us in the best position possible to receive those blessings in our life. I want that so desperately for the people of this church in the same way that I want it for me and for Sarah. So that's what this series is all about. So with all of that said, let's jump in to our passage for today, Luke chapter 14. We're gonna start with verse 25. We're gonna read all the way to verse 33. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. My Bible reads this way, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers or sisters or even life more than me, he cannot be my follower. Verse 27, whoever is not willing to carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my follower. If you want to build a tower, you first sit down and decide how much it will cost to see if you have enough money to finish the job. If you don't, you might lay the foundation, but you would not be able to finish. Then all who would see it would make fun of you saying, the person began to build but was not able to finish. If a king is going to fight another king, first he will sit down and plan. And he will decide if he and his 10,000 soldiers can defeat the other king who has 20,000 soldiers. Verse 32, if he can't, then while the other king is still far away, he will send some people to speak to him and ask for peace. 
In the same way, you must give up everything you have to be my follower. Now, in just a minute, we're, we're gonna take this passage and what Jesus has said, and we're gonna connect the dots to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in a couple places. But before we do that, I wanna, I wanna underscore some of the principles, some of the, the ideas, the things that are taking place here and what Jesus has just communicated to us in the gospel of Luke. So he says this idea, or he presents this, 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 uh, um, this concept that that we must sit down and decide how much something is going to cost. What Jesus is talking about here is everyone's favorite word. All right, it's the word that I know you were hoping that we were gonna talk about today when you came here. It's budget, right? Doesn't that just give you warm fuzzies on the inside when I say the word budget? I'll say it again, budget. Mm, man, that makes us feel good, right? And so Jesus is saying that, that if, if you're going to decide to be his follower, that you've got to sit down and you've got to decide how much it will cost. And then he talks about, he talks about like, uh, uh, if we're going to build a tower, we got to figure out what it's going to cost. Because if we start and we don't have enough money to finish, then people will make fun of us. And, and if you're wondering what this looks like, uh, it, then I would just encourage you, if you want like a real life picture of this, just drive to Orlando on I-4. And right before you get into the city, like over on the left, there's this really cool, like really modern skyscraper looking building. And like the top 70% of it looks awesome, but like the bottom 30% of it is like unfinished. And it's just an eyesore. And it's like the subject of memes on the internet. Everything of people making fun of this guy or this company that they started something that they weren't able to finish. And for as long as I've been going to Disney World, that thing has been there. And it's just set there on the side of the interstate because someone didn't start out with a budget in mind knowing what it was going to cost to get the job done. And when we talk about budget, what we're talking about is a budget is simply just a consideration of how much something's going to cost and then what we are willing or able to spend on it. A budget is simply a consideration of how much something is going to cost and what we are willing or able to spend on it. Dave Ramsey says this about budgets. He says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it all went. The truth of the matter is, is that if we don't control our money, our money is going to control us. If we're not telling our money where it's going to go, then our money is going to determine where we end up. So we gotta know that following Jesus, it's going to cost us something. And Jesus, in this passage, he tells us right there in verse 33, he tells us what it's going to cost. He says, you must give up everything to be my follower. So let me debunk kind of a, a certain myth that, that often floats around in Christian evangelical circles. Yes, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is 100% free, but living a life for Jesus Christ will cost you everything. Will cost you everything. The gift of salvation is free, but it's gonna cost you everything because once you step into a relationship with Jesus, once you make that commitment to start to live for him, then it's no longer your life that you are living. It's not based on your desires, your wants. It's based on him. 
And so the gift of salvation is free, but to follow after him will cost you and me everything because it's not about us any longer. When we step into that relationship with Jesus, it ceases to be about us and it begins to be all about him. And following Jesus will cost us everything in the realm of four particular areas. The first one is our time. It's gonna cost us everything with our time. We're gonna have to give up our time to do the things that God has called us to do. It's gonna cost us everything in our talent. We're gonna have to use the gifts and the talents, the the skills, the abilities that God has given us to, to serve other people and to inspire them to follow Jesus every day, to point them in the direction of Christ. I can't think of any better example than this, than, than our, our worship team. And what you, guys, uh, what you guys don't see, see, like it would be easy for us to think that like they just walk up here and the countdown hits zero and they just start playing and singing and everything. But, but many of you don't see them here early on a Sunday morning running through all of the, the songs and, and rehearsing. Many of you don't know that they're here till late on Thursday evenings rehearsing and, and planning and, and putting things together. You, you weren't here with me in my office this morning when, when I, was, I was in my office and, and I, was, I, I was the first one on campus this morning and I'm back in my office and I'm studying and reading and praying and getting things ready for the service and I hear Cowboy's truck pull up and blaring over the sound of the engine was some music and come to find out it was the playlist for today. And I sat praying and looking over my notes and listened to Cowboy singing at the top of his lungs out in his truck. He's leading me in worship and I was like tearing up in my office and everything. And he, he's, he's preparing and getting things ready to be able to come in here and to, to lead us all in worship. That, that stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't happen by accident. We just, we don't, it's, it's because we've been intentional about it. There's a cost involved. They're having to give up some time. They're having to, to get up early. They're having to stay up late. And, and throughout the week, they're practicing and they're, they're honing their craft and they're learning the, the harmonies and they're, they're using their instruments and, and learning how to play the licks and the riffs and the chords and all of those things so that they can come in and lead us in worship. There's a cost involved when it comes to following Jesus and using the things that he's given us. It'll cost us with our time. It'll cost us with our talent. It's gonna cost us with our testimony. There's gonna be opportunities that God's gonna place someone in your path that you need to talk to. You need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to encourage them. You need to tell them what God has done in your, in, in your life. You need to, you need to extend and, and, and pray for them. I was in a, a, a gas station. I didn't tell this story back in, in, at 9.15, but I was in a gas station this week. There's, there's a lady that attends um, church here quite often when she can, when she's off work. Her name's Pat. She works at the Flash Foods right out here on 200. She was having a rough day. She was so tired. A couple people didn't show up. Her shift had been ex- extended. And the, the beer guy was there and, and he was like trying to get all the coolers filled up and everything. And Pat was talking to me and we were going back and forth and she was just saying, Pastor Blake, I'm just struggling. Like we need some employees and we had people call out and I'm just having a really bad day. And I said, let me pray for you. And I reached right there across the counter and I prayed for her and the beer guy was like, what is happening? There's gonna be opportunities and if we're not willing to, to, to count the cost and to put ourselves out there, make a difference in people's lives, there's 
Those times can pass us by. We've got to be generous in those areas. And the final area, our time, our talent, our testimony, and yeah, our treasure. God wants us to be generous with our treasure. And Paul writes about this in connection with what Jesus has already established. So we got to live life on budget so that when, when, when these opportunities arise, that we're prepared for them. And, and Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he says this. He says, now I will write about the collection of money for God's people. Do the same thing that I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should put aside money as you have been blessed. Save it up so that you will not have to collect money after I come. So Paul says, let me talk to you about the collection of money for God's people. What's he talking about? He's talking about the tithe and the offering. And he gives them some instructions. He says, on the first day of every week. What day is that? Sunday. It's today. On the first day of every week, each one of you, we're saying each Sunday, each one of you, that means no one is exempt from this. It's, it's everybody. We're, we're all supposed to participate in this. On the first day of each week, on Sunday, every week, each one of you, everybody, should put aside money as you have been blessed. So what he's telling us is that every, at the beginning of every week, we need to set aside money as we have been blessed, each one of us, and bring it in to God's house in the form of tithe and offering. And he says, put aside money as you have been blessed. This lets us know, and what Paul is communicating is that our giving is commensurate with our income. We talked about the tithe last week, and how we give God, we return the, the first 10% of our income back to him. And so it doesn't matter what we make, it's our giving is commensurate with our income. And so if we've got $100, that means we return $10. If we've got $1,000, we return $100. If we have $10,000, we return $1,000. It's all on the same plane for everybody, and we give in accordance to what we have been given, 10%. It's the floor, not the ceiling. It starts there. And then Paul goes on to say in his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 9, verses 6 through 13, he says, Remember this, the person who plants a little will have a small harvest, but the person who plants a lot will have a big harvest. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give. You should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves the person who gives happily. Verse 8. And God can give you more blessings than you need. Then you will always have plenty of everything, enough to give to every good work. It is written in the scriptures. He gives freely to the poor. The things he does are right and will continue forever. God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and bread for food. He will give you all the seed you need to make it grow so that there will be a great harvest from your goodness. Verse 11. He will make you rich in every way so that you can always give freely. And your giving through us will cause many to give thanks to God. This service you do not only helps the needs of God's people, it also brings many thanks to God. It is, verse 13, it is a proof of your faith. Many people will praise God because you obey the good news of Christ. The gospel you say you believe and because you freely share with them and with all others. Now let's break this down a little bit. What is Paul actually saying here in this passage? Jesus has talked about 
budgets, that we got to count the cost, that following him is going to cost us everything. Paul has said, hey, like everybody on, on the Sunday, the, the, the first day of every week, everyone needs to set aside a portion of their income. And then he takes it a step further. Here's what this actually looks like, is that the amount that we plant determines the amount that we will harvest. In other words, how we give determines how we will receive. So for those of us that, that we plant, you know, if, if you went out into a field and you just planted a couple seeds, it would be ridiculous to think that you're going to reap a harvest of a whole field. You'd have to plant the whole field first, and then you can expect that harvest. So the way that we sow will determine the way that we reap. And Paul says, each one of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. All right, each one of you, there it is again, it's everyone. He's talking to everybody. Nobody is exempt. He says, each one of you should give as you have decided. Okay, there's, there's some forethought here. Because generosity is intentional. All right, it's, it's premeditated. You're not going to be walking down the street one day and accidentally trip and fall into generosity. It's just not going to happen. You've got to decide ahead of time, this is the kind of person that I'm going to be. And then you have to set things aside in your time, your talent, your treasure, your testimony. You've got to have it ready to use when the time comes. When, when you see a need, when you see an opportunity, and if you haven't prepared it ahead of time, then, then it's, it's, it's not going to be there. And so you may see a need, you may really want to serve somebody, you may really want to bless somebody and do something for somebody, but if you haven't prepared ahead of time, that opportunity is going to pass you by because generosity is intentional. Giving and generosity, he says, each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. It means giving and generosity, it's not a money issue. It's not about how much you have. It's a heart issue. You can be generous with a little bit of money the same way that you can be generous with a lot of bit of money. I can remember, you gotta be intentional about it. And, and I can remember when we lived in St. Louis, our condo, our, our townhome uh, neighborhood that we lived in was adjacent to this convenience store gas station that was on the corner that I would frequent from time to time whenever I went to work. And I would often just, you know, someone would walk up behind me and I'd be getting my drink and my candy bar or whatever. And someone would walk up behind me and I would just say, I got theirs too. And I would just pay for theirs or whatever. And I remember this one morning, a woman walked up behind me, she had a cup of coffee in her hand, cost a whopping 89 cents. And I just said, hey, I, I got hers too. And just paid for it. And I was like walking out the door and she like reached out and grabbed me. Like tears were like welled up like in the corners of her eyes. And she's like shaking with her billfold, like trying to get it unzipped and everything to like, she's wanting to pay me for the 89 cent cup of coffee that I just bought her. And I'm like, ma'am, just have a great day. Consider that like, she was in such a position that like she couldn't even, she, no one had been generous to her. She'd never experienced that before that someone could even just buy her a cup of coffee. And it, it changed her outlook on things. Like that wrecked her life and it was 89 cents. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of money to be generous to somebody. Like the next time you're in the drive-through, like pay for the person behind you. 
and just pray that they're not buying like for the whole school or, you know, like for a family of 17. Like buy the person behind you and then kind of pull away slowly and watch as they drive up and they're like, you know, they're doing like one of these things and then the, the person at the window is like, it was that person right there. And then you can just wave and drive off because it's awesome to see that look on people's face and just being generous to people. But that stuff's not gonna happen by accident. You've got to plan ahead of time so that you've got those resources set aside so that when, when a need comes up, you can't say, well, I can't do that because I'm strapped over here. I got, I got credit card payment and, and car payment and house payment, all this stuff. And my cat needs braces and everything. We just can't do any of this, we can't be generous. And here's why we do this is because, because Paul, Paul even talks about, he says, God's gonna bless you when you give. God's gonna bless you when you give. He says, he will make you rich in every way. But he doesn't stop there. He says, he will make you rich in every way so that you can always give freely. God's gonna bless us so that we can give even more. See, what happens is when we choose to become a person of generosity, God sees I can trust them with more because I know that they're going to do right by me. I know that they're going to honor me and because they're using what I've already given them in a way that honors me and blesses others, I'm gonna give them more so that they can continue to honor me and bless others. We are blessed to be a blessing and we give because God gave. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son right there from the beginning, the very center point of our faith as Christians is the fact that the God that we serve is a giver and we are never more like him than when we are serving and when we are giving and when we are generous to other people. We give because he gave first and we wanna pattern our lives after him. And then Paul closes out this passage and he says, living this kind of lifestyle, this generous lifestyle, it's, it's proof of our faith in God. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that like kind of punched me in the gut a little bit because they, whoever they are, they say that proof is in the pudding. And I got to thinking, like, if someone starts looking at my pudding, are they gonna find the proof in there? What do you think if someone started to examine your pudding a little bit closer? That just sounds weird. <laughs> but would they find the proof in your pudding? And when you think about it, like, I, I, I know where you might be at. You, you might be saying, like, Pastor Blake, this is all fine and good. Like, we understand. Like, we hear you. You're, you're saying these, these Bible principles, and we get all of that. But, like, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. How can, I, how can I start to get out from under that? Like, you're talking about things that I'm just not able to do. How can I go about doing these things in order to become a person of generosity, to cultivate a lifestyle of generosity in my life? I wanna give you three rules of successful stewardship. And I'm gonna tell you these three and you're gonna go like, well, duh. Like we came for that. Because this is not earth shattering, like this is nothing new. It's stuff that you probably already know. But these are the best three rules of successful stewardship that I can come up with. And I believe that if we will do all three of these things, that, that we'll begin to get out from under the stronghold of debt and slavery to money in our lives. And, and we'll, we'll begin to shift our lifestyle towards that of becoming a person of generosity. If you're taking notes, write these down. Three rules of successful stewardship. This is the how Last week we talked about the what, this week the how, next week's gonna be the why. Number one, first rule of successful stewardship, 
remember that it's all God's money. Remember that it's all God's money. When we talk about stewardship, that word steward, it means to properly handle something that doesn't belong to you. To properly handle something that doesn't belong to you. And so when we, when we shift our mindset and we realize that it's not our money, that it's actually God's money and, and, and he, he's, he's given us 90% of it, he's just asking us to return 10% of it. He's giving us the other 90% to, to live on and do with it. And we realize that it's not his, then, then because it's not his, then we should take extra care to be sure that we utilize the gifts that he's given us in a way that honors him. Like, think about it, like when you borrow something from somebody, when, when, when you've got something that doesn't belong to you, like you take way better care of that thing than you do if that thing belonged to you. And so if we'd, if we'd shift our focus to the fact that, that the money that we have, the blessings that we have, they don't belong to us. It's, we, we don't have anything that we have because of anything that we've done. We have the things that we have. God, our, our finances and, and, and all of the blessings in our life come not because of anything that we've done, but it's because of what God has done for us. And so when we realize that it's all his anyways, then, then, then we should handle that uh, quite a bit differently than we would if it actually belonged to us. So that should cause us to want to be sure that we're keeping things in order and in line with the scriptures and that we're utilizing those blessings in a way that brings honor to the Father. So number one, remember that it's all God's money. Number two, this is the greatest financial principle that I could possibly come up with. All right, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and get out your phone or grab a connect card or, or like grab a pen and like write it on your arm or whatever because this, I'm getting ready to change. I'm just gonna mess somebody up right now. It's the best financial principle in the history of the universe. Number two, spend less than you make. I could just like drop the mic right there and walk off. Spend less than you make. It's easy to talk about. It's really hard to do. All right. I'm telling that to myself. You guys just get to be the beneficiaries of eavesdropping on it. Spend less than you make. Like we get, we, you know, we, we see things that other people have and we see commercials and everything. All of a sudden we turn into Veruca Salt. You know what I'm talking about? Like you've seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. She's like, Daddy, I want a golden goose. And then she breaks into song and she says, I want to party with roomfuls of laughter. 10,000 cakes and 10 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get the things that I'm after, I'm going to scream. And that's the approach that we take to our lives. Until we get sent down the trash chute, you know, and the thing goes, hurt, hurt, and the doors open, and ah, and then it's over. We can't be Veruca Salt. Here's a way to stay away from Veruca Salt. Okay, a good rule of thumb. If you can't pay cash for it, you don't need it. All right? It's as simple as that. If you can't pay cash for it, it just wasn't meant for you to have. If I can't pay cash for it, it was not meant for me to have. We've got to stay away from debt. Stay away from debt. Stay away from debt. In his book, The ABCs of Financial Freedom, Pastor Barry Cameron, he, he writes about debt, and, and he says debt stands for don't even buy that. <laughs> All right? 
That means if, if, if I can't afford to pay cash for it and I gotta go into debt to get it, that means don't even buy that. Next time you go to the store and you're looking at it and you think, hmm, I just slide the old credit card. Remember, don't even buy that. He talks about the word interest. He says, anytime you see the word interest, that should trigger, our, trigger in our minds that that interest is equated with someone else. Because anytime there's interest, that means someone else is making money off of you. That's why they're interested. So we gotta stay away from debt. Don't even buy that. We gotta stay away from interest because it, it, it means that we're, we're paying someone else for the opportunity to use their money to get the thing that we can't afford. And here's what I know. If you and I, if we start paying cash for things, we'll be a whole lot happier and a whole lot less people will be up in our business. Because when you're not using other people's money to buy stuff, they don't care what you have. They're not knocking on your door. They're not calling you on the phone. They're not trying to take it out of your flesh or coming to repo or anything. Like, that's not happening. Because if you pay cash for it, it's yours. You own it. Straight up. There's a couple exceptions. The only two that I can think about is a house and a car. These are necessities. We need a roof over our head. We need a place to get, uh, a way to get from point A to point B, most of us. So those are the two exceptions. Many of us are not in a financial position to be able to purchase a home or to buy a car with cash. But there's some stipulations here. When it comes to our house, there's need versus want. Sometimes you gotta compromise. Sarah and I, we were, we were so blessed this past year to be able to build a brand new home and to move in. And it's been almost a year. It'll be a year in December and we just love living there. We're excited about putting down roots in this community. What that means for you is you're gonna have to look at my ugly mug for the next 30 plus years. Because that's, that's it. Like, this is us. This is where we're gonna be. So, sorry. You know, there's other great churches in town if you don't, not excited about that. But I can remember like when we went and we looked at all the floor plans, there was, there was a floor plan we would really like to have, but we just couldn't afford it. It didn't match our budget. So we said, nah, we can't get that. We've got to step down a few notches and we've got we've to build this one instead. Because this is really like, this is what we need. That's what we want. This is what we need. And then I remember we went to the design center and you're looking at all these tiles and carpet and all this stuff and all these fancy things that you can add and all these like pieces of paper and you're, you know, like all these things that they're saying, you can get this and you can get this and, and everything. And, and we looked at all that and we said like, we, we, like it'd be really nice to have that. But that's outside the, the range of our budget. Like we, we just, we can't afford, we can't afford to do that. And, and so we're, we're gonna have to settle for this. We're gonna have to compromise here so that we can be able to afford this home. And then like when it comes to like your mortgage payment and everything, like be sure that, be sure that you're putting yourself in a position where you can pay extra on your mortgage. Every month you can pay extra over the course of the year. You can, you can pay extra payments. That's what we're doing. We're paying extra payments so that it'll, it'll knock years off the back end of your mortgage. All that's going to principal and everything. But it, it, here, here's the deal. If you're maxed out at the, the tip top of your budget or, or over, you know, like they're doing like that show, House Hunters. You know, I make candles out of crayons that I found on the floor of my kindergartner's uh, classroom and my budget is $4.8 million. Like I don't see how all that computes. And then they said, well, we couldn't find exactly what we wanted. So we had to, we had to go over our budget by 3 million. Like, don't do that. Like stay within your means so that you can afford to pay that extra and it'll reduce the, the length of your, your mortgage note and everything. I mean, this is just practical stuff we're talking about. 
If you don't max yourself out, if you're not, if you're not strapped out, if you're not, if you're not house poor, then you can, you can afford to have some leeway and some freedom in these other areas. When it comes to your car, like, yes, I would agree, you need a car. Many of us need a car to get to where we're going. You just may not need a brand new car with like fully loaded with all the bells and whistles. Okay? Like you just need a place to get to point A, uh, from point A to point B. Like Sarah and I, I've got a 2005 Ford Explorer. She's got a 2007 Chrysler Aspen. They are both paid for. No one's asking me for money. I'm not having to send in a check every month. Here's what I know about new cars and used cars. You know what? Both of them, you got to put gas in the tank in order for them to drive. They both require tires. They both require oil changes. You're going to have to spend money on whatever it is that you have. And and a new car is going to break down sometimes and stuff's going to go wrong with it the same way that an older car is. So live within your means. If you can't afford that brand new thing, like don't buy it, like drive something less. Like, am I driving my dream car? No. But man, it feels nice to not have a payment every month. And so far, it's able to get me across the bridge. Now, sometimes I have to like just hope that I get to the top of it and I can coast all the way down here to the church. But I'm here, I'm just kidding. So those are the only two exceptions that I can think of. But even still, there's stipulations there that provide us to uh, the opportunity to still live lifestyles of generosity, even though we're using someone else's money. Number three, so if the first one is remember that it's all God's money. Number two, spend less than you make. I need to like tattoo that backwards on my forehead so I see it in the mirror every time. Like I'm wrestling with this stuff too, friends. Okay, I don't have it all figured out. All right, the third thing, get things in order. All right, and here's the order. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. We give. We pay God first, the 10%. It's the floor, not the ceiling. We pay God first. And can I just say that if we'd get this step right, then all of the other things would begin to fall into place the way that they should be. Give, save, live. We give, we pay God first, we save, we pay ourselves second, and then we live. We live on the rest. All right, some basic guidelines to what this looks like is Dave Ramsey and others, they've talked about this 10-10-80 this principle. That the first 10% of our income we give, we return back to God. The second 10% of our income we save and then we 80%, we live on the other 80%. And a lot of people say, well, I, I can't live on 80% of what I make. Let me help you out. Sell some stuff. Downsize. Figure out a way to create a new income stream on the side because it, it, it's, it's, either, it's either you make more money or you figure out how to live on less money. It's, it's one or the other. Sell some stuff, downsize, figure out a, a new income stream on the side, like get a side business going on. Or maybe just flat out, you just need to rearrange your priorities so that we can give, save, live. 10, 10, 80. Nelson Searcy, a pastor and author, he takes it an even step, uh, a step even further and, and he, says, he says it's the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle. He says give 10%, save 10%, and then that next 10%, if you're in debt, use it to pay down the debt. And if you're not in debt, use that to make an investment somewhere that will bring a return and then live on 70%. All right, many of us, we're not there right now. But if we start moving towards 10, 10, 80, then we can get to the 10, 10, 10, 70. And slowly but surely over the course of time, we will get there. But it's going to start because you and I have been intentional about the way we are living and the way we're utilizing our money because it's not going to happen on accident. 
Here's some resources, very practical to help you make this happen. The first two are a couple apps. You can get them wherever you download apps for your smart device. The first one's called Every Dollar. It's a Dave Ramsey app to help you to budget. It's called Every Dollar because it helps you to see where every dollar is going. And some of us, like our budget is all messed up because we, 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 we haven't looked at the big picture. We don't realize we're spending $500 a month eating out. It just goes away and we're like, where did all the money go? And we don't know, it'll, it'll help you to see. And then there's another app called Nerd Wallet. I like it just because it's got an awesome name. <laughs> Nerd Wallet, it'll help you to see what you're spending, like where all of your spending is going. There's some other cool features for it. Um, I'm not being compensated to promote any of these things, I promise. Uh, the other three are, are, are a few books. This list is by no means exhaustive. These are just some things that have um, changed my life, my outlook in my wrestling with trying to be a good steward of the blessings God has placed in my life. The first one of these books is The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. The second book is The ABCs of Financial Freedom by Barry Cameron. I referenced it earlier in the message. ABCs of Financial Freedom by Barry Cameron. And then um, the last one is a great little book called The Generosity Ladder by Nelson Searcy. The Generosity Ladder by Nelson Searcy. And and as a a matter of fact, everyone who is participating in our 90-day tithe challenge, I'm gonna send you a copy of The Generosity Ladder by Nelson Searcy for free just to help you get started and learn some tips. Um, It's a great little read. And um, matter of fact, for those of you, we've we've had nine people that have um, stepped out to take part in that tithe challenge already. And so um, tomorrow morning, you're gonna be getting your, uh, your, your copy of the generosity ladder mailed out to you. Um, and even if you're already tithing, you're already giving, I'd still encourage you to read those books. They're amazing. So um, here's the thing we need to remember. Generosity is intentional. It's not gonna happen by accident, all right? And then this quote by Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church that I saw this week, he said, what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. What you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. And I believe that if we'll open our hands when it comes to the blessings that God has provided for us, that he's gonna provide even more. He's gonna bless us so that we can be a blessing. For those of you that have heard all of this today, maybe you heard last week's message and everything, and and you're still not convinced that these principles, that this kind of living is the best way to live when it comes to your finances, let me ask you one question. Is what you're doing working? Is what you're doing working? Are you free of stress? You always have enough. There's never any lack, there's never worry. God always provides. Right now, with what you're doing, do you have more blessings than you know what to do with? If not, maybe you should consider making a change. And I wanna partner with you, I believe so strongly in that, and I, I, I believe so strongly in the power of and the promise of God's word, Malachi 3. God's talking about returning the tithe and the offering to the storehouse. And he says, in that place of scripture that he says in no other place, he says, put me to the test in this. I wanna help you put him to the test. We wanna do that, we wanna partner with you. So I wanna invite you to be a part of our 90 day tithe challenge. If you are not currently returning the first 10% of your income 
back to God in the form of tithe. Then I want to invite you to sign up for our 90-day tithe challenge. You can go to thechristwalk.com and click on the Give tab at the top of the page and just scroll down to the middle of the page. You see the 90-day tithe challenge. You go in there, you'll fill out a quick, um, uh, uh, just a, a quick form, just gonna ask you a few basic questions. And then over the course of 90 days, you begin to return the first 10% of your income back to God as tithe. If you come to me at the end of those 90 days and you say, Pastor Blake, God hasn't followed through on his promises. I haven't received his experiences, blessings in my life the way that his word said that I would. If that's the case, you come and tell me and the church will reimburse you 100% of anything you gave in tithe as part of that 90 days. We believe in it so strongly and we want so desperately for our people to experience the blessings of God in their life that we wanna go out on a limb and put our money where our mouth is. So if that speaks to you today, I'd, I'd highly encourage you, thechristwalk.com, go to the Give tab and find out all the information that you need right there. I wanna give you some resources. We wanna partner with you because I want nothing more than to see the blessings of God poured out in all their fullness in your life. And I wanna help to get you to the place where you can see that, amen? Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I thank you for the principles of your word that you have given us. Lord, and though they be awkward, uncomfortable, sometimes to talk about, Lord, I, I just I thank you for the opportunity to share with people. God, I pray that you would help us to get things in order in our lives and begin to live in accordance with your word when it comes to the realm of our finances. And God, as we do, Lord, I pray that as we put you to the test, Lord, that you would return faithful in accordance with the promise of your word and that, that the people of this church and beyond would experience the fullness of the blessings that you wanna pour out into their life. Lord, that you would bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. Lord, that you would help us to cultivate this lifestyle of generosity, Lord, so that we can inspire people to follow you every day. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here. I hope that you will be here next week as we close out this series. We got something pretty special in store for everybody. So I hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. We love you guys. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.